We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with chess players, personalities, authors, and adult improvers about their lives, their careers, and about chess improvement. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have another outstanding guest this week. He is a grandmaster. He was the 2002 British Chess Champion. He is an author of the excellent book, Fundamental Chess, Logical Decision Making. But these days, he is best known as a trainer. Uh, he, no less an authority than I am Sagar Shah of Chess Base India, said R.B. Ramesh, without any doubt, is one of the finest chess coaches that India has ever produced. Um, Jakob Algard over at Quality Chess said Grandmaster R.B. Ramesh is perhaps the world's top coach. Um, he is probably best known these days for being the coach of 14-year-old prodigy Pragnananda, um, but he's also coached many other strong players. So uh, with the glowing introduction out of the way, thank you for joining us, R.B. Ramesh. Yeah, hello, Ben. It's my pleasure and honor to be part of your show. Oh, well, I, I thanks I really, for the nice introduction. My pleasure. Uh, the, the least yeah. I can do. So you, you mentioned we were just talking, you're joining us from a training camp? Yeah, I'm uh, conducting a training camp for the Indian junior and sub-junior team at New Delhi. 
and it's the camp is happening from uh, 10th to 25th of September. So we're right at the middle of the camp and uh, it's uh, always a pleasure to work with uh, young players who are energetic and eager to learn. So I'm having a great time. Thank you. Yeah, and India has no shortage of such players. Um, so, so what age are the players you're working with in this particular training camp? Yeah, we have uh, players, uh, the age is uh, somewhere from uh, 12 to 18, I would say, 12 to 18 years of age. And we have uh, divided the players into two groups where uh, around 14 players, uh, 14 to 15 players are uh, between uh, 1,700 to 2,200. And we have another group of players, uh, they are between uh, 2,200 to 2,400. Okay. And are, are there other teachers there besides yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, we have uh, two other uh, good coaches. So one is Grandmaster Bochko from uh, uh, Dejan Bochko from Bulgaria, and uh, the other is International Master from uh, Vishal Sarin from New Delhi. So we have two other uh, trainers. So we take turns and work with these two groups. Excellent. Yeah, and I, I'm sure it is uh, hard work coming up with material, especially for the the um, older and higher rated group that you mentioned. So. Um, how how do you come up with with exercises to keep these uh, young, energetic, uh, strong players busy? Um, I think in my case personally, I don't have issues uh, related to choosing right material for the students because uh, I've been at this for uh, almost a couple of decades. So I've been a, a trainer from 1998. So that's almost like a long time ago, 20 years. Uh, I have a lot of experience in this and uh, I started playing chess in 1988 uh, so almost uh, more than uh, my playing career uh, because I retired from active participation in 2008 so I've been a trainer for a couple of decades and over the period of time I have uh, collected a vast collection of uh, good material and I'm also like kind of personally uh, connected with my material because I have uh, use the material against a different generation of players uh, with different uh, playing strength. So I have a good understanding of the material. So that is really not an issue for me. But uh, I think uh, the question comes like, uh, how would, uh, how should probably a coach uh, choose materials when he's uh, working with young talented players? If uh, that is the question, uh, then uh, I would say, like uh, from a coach's perspective, we should try to uh, make a list of problems which we face uh, most commonly with our students. So uh, usually the chess players, young chess players, they have some typical issues. And as a coach, if you can identify those issues and uh, uh, sort them into different categories. Personally, I uh, have I choose the issues like one psychological issues which the uh, students could have or the technical issues. And uh, once we identify a list of issues that are very commonly present among young players, then I would suggest to create some appropriate databases for each of uh, these issues and then uh, read about these issues uh, from different books or you can go through the DVDs. There are various sources on most of these issues. Um, read about these issues, uh, others' perspective and uh, think about those issues and come up with your own solutions and also have appropriate examples which can help in handling these issues. That's how I usually plan a work with my students. 
That makes sense. So that basically, I had sent you a few, the, um, the questions I have gotten from some supporters of the podcast, and one was from Nate Solon re- relating to how to uh, organize training material. So mostly you're using mm-hmm. chess base. Um, and I guess at this point, you've got, as you, as you say, a lot of, um, a, lot of uh, a mental file as well of like, um, what, yes. so what would be, what issues do you see most commonly amongst your younger students? What, what uh, things that they need to work on? Yeah, uh, firstly, as you mentioned, uh, I use ChessBase uh, for storing my material and organizing my stuff. So it's uh, very helpful. And especially I'm very happy with uh, ChessBase 15 because the search uh, functions are uh, very fairly advanced and you are able to access information on any position in a very short time. So I uh, use ChessBase to create different databases and then uh, collect examples, add text to the database. So when I want to teach a particular topic, I can refer to the text and uh, pass on the information. So basically the common issues I face, uh, I face uh, among the young players, one, I feel there are two general issues, one related to psychology and the other is uh, technical aspects. Now in my view, technical aspects are easier to handle. Suppose if uh, a player is not happy with their end game skills, we can uh, show some good end games, uh, instructive end games, and explain in, in the best possible manner and uh, pass on the knowledge and the skill for the players. But I feel um, it's not uh, easy to handle the psychological issues because it's usually the psychological issues that come in the way of uh, effective learning from the player's uh, viewpoint. So I, th- I feel if we can uh, handle the psychological issues in an effective manner, the learning could be much more productive. So the psychological issues I face is, uh, let's say, uh, sometimes issues is, uh, are uh, like with concentration. Some children uh, are capable of calculating pretty well, while others have uh, concentration issues. They get uh, distracted. For example, in today's session, when I was talking with the players, I asked them, are you guys happy with uh, the way you are making progress? Let's say in the last couple of years. And many of them said they were not happy. They believe uh, they could progress much faster. And uh, when I asked them what issues you feel are coming in the way, and they said it's mostly themselves, their own attitude and their own characters, character issues. For example, uh, they are uh, like most uh, young players, they like to listen to music. And uh, when they play games, they are getting disturbed. It uh, distracts their concentration. They are hearing the music while playing. They are not able to focus. And so there are issues related to concentration. And there are issues related to confidence. And uh, because some players or many players, they don't work as hard as they should be uh, considering the level of competition they face. So when you don't work enough and uh, when you are not learning enough, and it uh, translates into lack of confidence. So you're not as believing in yourself as we should be. So lack of confidence. And then uh, many young players, they are uh, having fear of losing games. They don't want to lose games because uh, they are not uh, capable of handling the losses in the right perspective. So not only they lose games, they also lose a part of their uh, self-confidence when they lose games. So this fear of losing games is there very common. And they also are scared that the rating will go down when they lose games. So 
when they see the pairing or when they are actually playing a game, apart from thinking about the position, their mind is overloaded with these issues as well. Like, what if I lose this game and my rating goes down? So they are actually thinking about these issues while playing a game. And uh, they also have high, they have to handle high expectations from people who are close to them, like their parents, their trainers, their peers, and so on. So handling expectation from others is another issue. And it's a question of uh, motivation for some players. They don't really feel the need to uh, work hard and learn and uh, progress. So there are motivational issues. And then uh, laziness is an issue. Some players, they are ambitious. They want to do well, but they don't feel like they have to pull their socks and uh, hit the ground. And uh, many children, they are focused more on getting good results, but they are not uh, realizing that they first have to learn and grow, become strong as a player and play good chess before they start uh, Basically, you have to earn the good results. Uh, sometimes uh, young players, they don't realize this. They just believe if I go to a good coach, or if I play in good tournaments, automatically I should be playing well. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen all the time this way. And uh, other issues are uh, like handling distractions, like uh, the video games, sometimes it's television. So uh, there are uh, various ways these days a young player can get uh, distracted and not spend enough time on chess. And also they get affected by the rating of their opponents. Sometimes they have to play with higher rated players. Other times they have to play with lower rated players. And they both have their own issues. Like when you want to play with a higher rated player, they sometimes uh, don't feel they have any chances because my opponent is better than me. I'm going to lose. They give up um, sometimes before the game itself or uh, converse could be true. If the opponent is uh, lower they are simply worried. What if I lose to them? lose? Uh, uh, huge rating points because in FIDE K factor which is 40 for players below 100 so this could also play on the psyche of a player and uh, other issues like when the player is uh, poor form they don't know how to handle and they have issues like how to prepare at home on what issues working so, come in the way of effective learning and there are technical issues like some players want to improve their calculation they want to improve their in-game skills or their technique of converting advantages into win they want to improve their positional play they want to learn how to make plans how to attack how to defend and so on so usually there are wide variety of issues that could come with chess players and i think uh, as a trainer we should be uh, having uh, some reasonable explanations and uh, we should uh, help the ch- player to handle these issues in an effective way. Yeah, there's there's so many. Wow, that's there's so much for me to follow up on there. So uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think we can address every possible issue. I mean, I feel like you certainly you gave a good overview of uh, uh, issues that plague, I think, young players in particular, but chess players more generally. But if I could just follow up on a couple of them, um, number mm-hmm. one, so what do you tell kids who really struggle with uh, with fear of losing and with getting upset from losing? What sort of advice do you give? 
Yeah, what usually happens is like uh, I remember when I was young and when I was playing the game, uh, I have lost many games, but those losses were not as painful and I was not uh, really afraid of losing games like the players of uh, current generation are. So uh, when I used to I used to compare myself with the current generation and I try to understand why the current generation are uh, getting so worked up about losing games. Well, one reason could be like uh, I was not playing as much as the current generation does. So probably they are playing very often and uh, losses, they, it's simply because they are playing more, they're losing a more number of games. But when it is happening uh, in a quite a quick frequency, then uh, probably they feel they are losing more and uh, this upsets them. So I feel uh, uh, the priorities uh, should be set right uh, for a young player at a very young age. Ideally, I would uh, prefer the priorities to be set right between the age of 7 to 10. Let's assume like if a child starts playing at the age of 6 or 7, as is the case with most players in India. And uh, I've seen even in West, uh, many children, they take to the game probably at the age of 6 or 7. So I think by the time the child reaches 10, the priorities should be set right. And if you could set the priorities right, then I believe the children will not be as affected and they won't have uh, as much fear of losing games as it, I see with most of the children. So I think when uh, we focus too much on getting good results and when we put a lot of emphasis on uh, increasing our rating in a short span of time, then it can really have a, kind of a detrimental effect on uh, young players. So the priorities uh, we should establish that the child is playing the game not to meet the expectations of others like the parents or the trainers or the peers. Because what happens is like uh, many times I get inquiries from parents like they say my child is 5.6 years old <laughs> or 6.2 years old and uh, he's having huge potential in chess and I want him to become a great player. Can you teach my son or daughter? So this is the kind of inquiry I get and it's obvious from these inquiries that the players are not, the parents are not in a position, they are not professionally qualified or competent to assess the talent level of the child. And uh, they simply believe that since they are, they believe they are extremely smart, the children by default are smarter and uh, with the right training and uh, infrastructure, the child should be able to be a strong player. So they have this, they form these expectations uh, before the child even takes their first steps in the game. And then uh, accordingly, they plan the whole thing, uh, the selection of coaches, selection of tournaments and so on. So from the young age, from the player's perspective, uh, they are coming into the chess field with already a huge bag of uh, expectations from the parents. So... And when the child loses games, the parents, sometimes they cannot understand why this is happening because they have always believed the child is very smart. And when the child loses to some lower rated player or weak player, they simply cannot understand why this is happening. And they panic and then they show their displeasure to the child at times. And then uh, they compare their children with uh, other children who are doing well. And it's like kind of a vicious cycle starts and then the child feels 
that uh, I probably have done something wrong by losing games because my parents are not happy when I lose a game and they show the displeasure in uh, different ways. So the child learns at a very young age that losing is bad and I have to keep winning at all times. And it, this puts uh, tremendous pressure on a young child's mind. And then what many times it happens is like sometimes the child gets uh, frustrated with the game and they quit after a few years or it could be like uh, they become very cautious they don't want to lose games and uh, even the displeasure of their parents or they don't want to see their parents sad so they try not to lose games and instead of playing for win they start trying not to lose games so I try to tell my students that you are playing this game not to meet others' expectations or make others happy, you are doing this for yourself. And we are here just to help you and facilitate you in your growth. So you are doing this for yourself. So I try to make it very clear for my students. And then the other thing is you have to earn success. You cannot just wish it to come to you. So focus on uh, learning process. Just put more time um, Put a sincere effort, learn more, and you as you learn more, you become stronger and you will get the good results. So if we keep the focus on the learning process and the effort we put to learn and play, I think the children will uh, have less fear of losing. So this is my approach to the whole issue. Sounds like good advice. And the, the other follow-up I had, which is somewhat related, you, you mentioned that sometimes another issue that you see that um, young students face is the distractions such as video games and television um, and, yeah. you know, whatever else it may be. But on the other hand, they're, they're kids. Uh, so we, we want them to have fun and not to, not to burn themselves out. So how, how do you strike a balance and how do you view your role as the trainer in terms of uh, – what to tell the kids in terms of uh, how they spend their their time. Yeah, I understand that uh, this is a very um, dicey issue, not an easy issue to approach because on one hand, some parents might think, um, how can I tell the child what to do and what not to do? But as a trainer, I feel it's my duty to caution them against the distractions and uh, also help them keep their focus on uh, what they really want to achieve. So with uh, access to television, the video games and so on. So my simple advice to the children is I don't tell them not to go for these things. It's uh, their choice. I don't want to interfere with that. But I just tell them that you have to do certain things if you want to become a good player. So basically like I tell students that there are certain things you need to do if you really want to become a strong chess player. Like you have to work on ABC areas on a regular basis. So if they can find time to do their work on chess and then they play uh, video game or television, which is perfectly fine. But if you're going to uh, play video games or watch too much television at the cost of what you have to be doing, then uh, they will have to face the consequences. So this I try to make it clear to the students and it's clear to each take the approach appropriate. Okay. And when in terms of assessing how your students are doing, when you look at the students who've who've been most 
uh, successful, like uh, Pragananda and other grandmasters that you've worked with, is there is there something that differentiates them? Is there something you can point to that that you think contributes uh, most greatly to to your most successful students? Yeah, I think uh, almost uh, all the uh, players uh, who do well in chess they have certain qualities in common. So, if you ask me, like, what are the common qualities of uh, a successful chess player? I would say one is the talent part, but the talent is like something like a hardware. You cannot tamper with it. If you are an i3, you are i3. If you are i5, you are i5. So we have to accept it. But as a trainer, I try to uh, assess the potential of my student because that will help me in determining how can how much. So watch out for this in the first few classes. If they are able to come up with the moves uh, freely, like if the moves and ideas are flowing and they don't have to struggle to find the good moves, then I would consider that the child has reasonable potential in the game. So I look for the talent aspect, but I don't discuss uh, my views with the child or the parent. It's just uh, my personal observation to plan the training. And uh, the second thing I watch out for, and I also talk about this, is the hardworking ability of the child. And uh, by hardworking ability, I just don't mean the hours the child puts. Because I have seen some children, they practice three, four hours every day, and uh, they are not making sufficient progress for the time they spend. But there are other children who work like one hour a day or two hours a day, they make much uh, progress. So... By hard work, I don't mean uh, more work. I essentially try to explain it to the students that you have to really put at least hours uh, training in a day where you actually strain your brain. You try to solve some problems uh, where you have to strain yourself. And then basically it's just like you go to a gym. You go to a gym, you try to lift some heavy weights and you strain your muscles and in that process, the muscles grow stronger. So something like this. So you have to really train to analyze, think, not see games, not just listen to some lectures because these things can give you only knowledge part. It won't really give you the skills that you need when you play in a tournament game. So I suggest them to train their brain muscles at, by analyzing some, solving some tough problems or analyzing some positions and so on so basically yeah, usually uh, apart from apart from the talent uh, i expect my students to really work hard and uh, the other thing i watch out is the capacity to learn and this is uh, extremely important because i have seen some talented kids they are not motivated to learn and uh, when they are not motivated to learn then they simply pay attention or they don't try to learn as much as it should be. So not just the talent, uh, the capacity to learn is also very important in my view. And um, so in the case of uh, Pragnananda, you mentioned that there's like a sort of a base of, of talent and then there's what they do on top of that. So what what sort of um what sort of work what so basically it sounds like you're talking about studying smarter as opposed to just studying more so uh yeah. 
when a player reaches the level that he's reached, does it get harder for you to come up with material? Um, is is his appetite particularly insatiable, or um, what? Uh, what? Uh, what has that experience been like? Yeah, um, um, with regard to ex- my experience working with Prague, I started uh, working with him when he was like seven and a half or eight years old, and by then he was already like far ahead of his uh, competitors of his age. So he was already a known uh, talent. So when they came to me and uh, I started uh, seeing chess with him and I could immediately see that chess was coming quite naturally to him. He didn't have to really struggle. But I could see that his knowledge in chess was limited because he was not working in a professional manner. It was more or less... uh, haphazard manner he was uh, going about it so i explained to him like how he should be working on what areas he should be working and personally i feel uh, uh, just since it's an uh, individual individual game as a trainer we should not um, make our students be dependent on us for uh, all their learning needs so as a trainer i try to make my students as independent as possible and uh, I will be intervening only in few critical areas. And for the general day-to-day work, they have to spend time on their own reading books or they have to go through the material which I keep sending them. So with Prague, he uh, is extremely passionate about the game. He knows he is talented from very young age and he has had his share of uh, successes at very young age. And uh, but I kept uh, telling him from the very formative years that his priority should not be on getting good results. He should just focus on getting stronger and stronger. And uh, it's basically a challenge, a personal challenge for him, like how tough and how strong he can become and how soon he can uh, do that. So he knows that he has to work hard, spend more time than his compatriots and work in a more efficient way so that he can absorb a lot of knowledge and convert it into practical skills. And uh, as far as preparing material for Prague is concerned, um, I have not reached a point yet where I cannot meet his needs uh, because I have been coach for the Indian uh, senior team for the last 10 years or so. So I've been traveled to the with the Indian team to the World Team Championship or the Olympiads and so on. So I have a lot of experience working with uh, players like Hare Krishna, Sashi Kiran, Vidit, Adiban, Seth Raman and so on. So um, I have not, I believe I have not reached a point where uh, I feel uh, I cannot handle meet his needs. But I hope I will reach that point. Yes, that would, that would be that would be a mark of success, I guess, given the the caliber yeah. of players that you've worked with. Um, yeah. So, you mentioned you work with the uh, the Indian national teams. Um, do you ever have time, just out of curiosity, for adult um, uh, chess hobbyists, non professionals? Do you work with any students who are just uh, trying to get better at chess in their spare time, or is your time limited to working with uh, young scholastic players and sort of uh, um, adult chess professionals? Yeah, usually, like, uh, personally, I would prefer to work with uh, professionals 
because I find it very challenging because as a player, I have had my own share of uh, good and bad results, my own share of uh, issues where I felt helpless and did not know how to handle the issues I faced. So, and I've been seeing that it's not just me who have issues. It's almost all the players, um, whichever level they are, they all have their own set of issues. And uh, personally, I like to challenge myself in uh, trying to help the player overcome these issues and uh, progress to the next level. So this is very interesting challenge for me. And uh, personally, I would prefer to work with uh, young players in their formative years, giving them a good work ethics, good working culture uh, in chess and uh, see them grow. That gives me immense satisfaction. And uh, I also like to work with uh, the Indian team, the higher rated players, because I can learn from these great players how they approach each of the issues that is bothering the players who are trying to get there. And I try to translate this information which I learned from these strong players to the young generation. So I feel like proud to be kind of a bridge of knowledge between uh, the younger generation who are aspiring to be become strong players in the future and uh, getting the knowledge transferring from the higher generation, good players to these young children. But I have, uh, having said that, I have worked with uh, non-professional chess players for whom kind of amateurs and uh, players who don't see chess uh, as seriously as the students I usually work with. But uh, that is usually just to... Uh, for the fun and also a bit of curiosity how non-professionals look at the game, the what struggles they face. But I prefer to work with professionals, as I said earlier. That makes sense. And I, actually, in hearing you talk about it, it makes me recall when uh, GM Jakob Algard uh, was a guest on the show. And this was uh, mm-hmm. prior prior to the Quality Chess Academy that, that uh, yourself and he were going to um, be heading in Greece. So I'm yeah. I'm thinking maybe at that uh, camp you may have had a few uh, players who fit the description of um, adult improver uh, chess hobbyists. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how was that camp? It sounded when he came on, it sounded he painted such a pretty picture. It sounded so amazing. I was <laughs> really wishing I would be able to go, but uh, I was not able. So how how was it from your perspective? Yeah, I had a great time, and I should thank uh, Jakob for uh, considering me to be one of the trainers in that camp. Uh, we had uh, two groups of players. Uh, we had players like uh, Shankland, uh, Salgado Lopez, and uh, Jaime Latasso from uh, Spain. So there were uh, many strong players. Uh, the higher group had uh, probably like uh, 12 to 15 players, and uh, most of them were uh, about 2,500, a couple of them about 2,600, Shankland. And uh, it was a very strong group. And I was very eager to work with this group because that's a first group camp I'm taking for uh, uh, non-Indian players. I worked with uh, the Indian team over the years, so I have pretty good experience. But I wanted to see how I would, how I would uh, uh, perform with non-Indian uh, strong players. And uh, I believe uh, uh, as a trainer, I had a good time and I believe uh, the players also could learn some new perspective uh, on uh, the training part. And with the other group where uh, non-professional players were there, 
um, they were trying to improve and the, the common problem is they all love the game but they are not able to find the time to practice on a regular basis and whatever little time they get they try to play a few online games or listen to online commentaries uh, something like that so they are not in a position to work on a professional basis so i was just trying to uh, help them devise uh, simple ways where they can uh, spend some quality time with whatever less time they get for chess so overall i had a very nice experience and i hope we'll be able to repeat it in future yeah that sounds good i actually even though uh, we talked about the camp a decent amount i didn't realize that that um casual players like myself who would be attending um, would be mm-hmm. kind of uh, rubbing shoulders with uh, you know elite players like <laughs> Sam Shankland and the others that you mentioned. I knew that you guys, yeah. that you and Jakob Algard would be there, but I didn't realize there would be such strong players um, as students as well. It really is a, an amazing opportunity. So definitely encourage any listeners, uh, if, if, the, if it comes up again, you should take advantage. And um, related to some of the issues that you mentioned that you saw that uh, adult players struggle with, I have a question from a supporter of the podcast. So um, mm-hmm. for, for listeners who don't know, uh, uh, people who donate to the show via Patreon or PayPal are able to find out the guests in advance and submit questions. And this question is from Chad Oliver, who says, uh, greetings, GM Ramesh. Thank you for your thoughtful insight and content you provide on Chessbase India and YouTube. I very much look forward to your articles and videos. What instruction would you give an adult improver who's been playing seriously for two, for two years but is going through a perceived period of time without improvement. Should I ignore my subjective belief that I'm not improving? How can I objectively evaluate whether my perception is reasonable? Is there a path that has been effective in your own training or that of your students when progress appears stagnant? Yeah, um, that's a very interesting question. Uh, basically, the, uh, uh, the question is like, I've, I've been uh, spending time on my chess improvement for the last two years. I've been playing seriously for the last couple of years. And uh, sometimes I feel I am not improving as much as I would uh, wish to. And uh, is it just my impression that I am not improving or is it that I am really not making progress? How can I know which, which, which is true? And if I am stagnant at some point, is there a method where which I can follow to come out of my current stagnant state? I believe uh, that's the question. Uh, that's what uh, the question means. Yes. So I think uh, uh, ideally when we plan on our work schedule, like what we should be working on and how much time we should be spending on different areas, because many players who have been playing chess for years, uh, they really have no idea and they have this question bothering them all the time, but which they are feeling uh, little even ashamed to ask others because they have been playing the game for so many years. They have some very basic questions like how much time I should work every day and sh- how much time I should be working on my opening or middle game or my end game. If I have to work on my middle game, how I should go about it. So they have these very basic questions unaddressed and uh, many of them are not uh, properly guided. So they just find their own way of uh, doing stuff. And in many cases, it's not very effective and they don't they feel they are hitting a wall pretty soon and they don't really know what to do about it and how to come out of this mess so ideally the work we do uh, should give us a feeling that i am learning 
new things and uh, i'm feeling satisfied and i feel like i'm getting better and i'm growing stronger so the work we do at home it should make us confident that we are growing stronger and uh, but in as in life we don't get ideal experience all the time and uh, there will be moments or days when we feel things are not happening as planned or as anticipated but we should keep continuing our effort and we should make some creative changes in how we see chairs and uh, what areas we are working on and we should keep going forward this is pretty important but what usually happens is like if the player is not happy with the his performance over a period of time or if he feels he is not improving as much they could quickly lose motivation and once they lose motivation they won't feel the need to make changes and push themselves and keep working so they are still they they start waiting for a good result to come and then i will uh, become vigorous in my effort so and uh, usually that doesn't happen in the short run so we have to keep looking for new boundaries and uh, we should uh, realize that we are capable of learning and growing we should never feel that i have hit a wall and from here i don't think i can make any more progress if you if we give up hope then we would really not be making any progress so we should ideally make a plan like what i should be learning what are the areas i should be focusing on and then you can make a plan for the next few days or the next couple of weeks and so on so you can have a very short term plan and a medium term plan and uh, uh, if we feel in some areas we are not improving as faster so for example some players they may not like to play end games so for them they won't feel the motivation to work much and improve in end games so they may not wholeheartedly work on end games and as a result they may not uh, they may feel like they are not making much progress in their end game so if they feel they are hitting a wall in some area then they should simply move to other areas where they feel comfortable work in that area and feel uh, them becoming stronger in those areas and once they taste kind of success in their preparation then they can again go back to areas where they are not comfortable learning and many times what happens is um, players tend to focus on their weaknesses more they worry more about their weaknesses but in many cases the weaknesses are simply absence of strength um, so for example if uh, i am very thin and i am not able to lift heavy weights so instead of complaining i am thin and considering myself as i am always going to be like this you could start doing some exercise and eat healthy food give some good rest to the body and if you can do it over a period of time you automatically put on weight and muscles and you become stronger and tougher so when we put on strength when we grow stronger many of the perceived weaknesses they fall off on their own so we don't have to worry about many of our uh, so called weaknesses i would simply say that if someone feels he is not good in calculation he is weak in calculation i would simply see that he has not trained properly in improving his calculation and i believe that if he can be trained properly and he can work properly then he can become strong in that area 
So that's why I say, like most of the cases, the perceived weaknesses are nothing but absence of strength. So if uh, a player feels he is working but he is not making much progress, or if the results have hit a plateau and you are not, it's not rising, then uh, you should still keep working. And uh, you probably have to make minor changes in your attitude that you should believe that it is possible to work, learn, and grow. We should focus more on improving our analytical abilities instead of simply acquiring knowledge. So this is a common mistake many players make. They watch videos, they listen to lectures by trainers, they listen to others talking about chess, discuss chess, analyze chess. But what they are not, they read books, but what they are not doing is they are not straining their brain. So I believe like your training, um, at least 50% of your training, you should analyze positions. Take some interesting game and when you analyze, try not to move pieces um, and analyze, try to, let's say like three or four moves ahead and then you compare your analysis with the actual moves played in the game and then make the moves on the board. So one important thing uh, we should keep in mind to improve our analytical ability is try to analyze positions without moving pieces and uh, try to analyze more number of moves with time. So the more uh, visualization ability you are able to improve, the better your quality of analysis will get over a period of time. Well, that's uh, excellent advice overall. And that's interesting, 50% of one's time uh, analyzing positions. So that yeah. it feels like that leaves so little for all the other sort of micro skills that you mentioned, uh, you know, end games, tactics, openings. But so but 50% you would say devote to sort of uh, the, the broader just analysis of of Grandmaster in your own games. Yeah, I would. Uh, so there are uh, and uh, like when uh, we were uh, working in this camp the last uh, one week. So I told them, like, let's try to analyze games without moving pieces on the board. And a uh, few of the players, they, I challenged them, do you want to try even not setting up the position, the initial position on the board? For example, we take one game and we were analyzing that game for four hours at a stretch. So let's say like between nine to one. So I give them a very complicated position and few of them, they don't even set up the position on the board. They just hear the notation and they have to imagine the position in their head. And then uh, we start discussing the position verbally. So they, And the others, they keep the uh, initial position on the board, but they don't move the pieces at all. So far, we are sitting there for three, four hours, and the moves we are discussing back and forth, but none of the pieces on the board are moving. So this way, and initially, they thought they cannot do this and I chose some very complex positions and uh, they took it as a challenge and then uh, initially for the first half an hour or so they were struggling but once they could uh, see the position clearly in their head it was kind of the analysis kind of uh, started flowing and uh, they were like completely shocked they didn't know that they could analyze so much and what so what I believe what rating level were yeah. these players, just out of curiosity? Okay, uh, I tried this with the higher group, that is about 2200. But personally, I have uh, done this 
with even like 1400 or 1500 feed a rated young children. So let's say a seven or eight year old, 1400 or 1500 child. I believe they can uh, learn this visualization uh, in less than a week. Wow. So I think this is uh, something grossly underestimated by most trainers and they simply assume that human mind is not capable and I have worked with many number of players, young players and uh, everyone is like shocked. They could not believe I did this. So I think the first time once they do, they want to keep doing it again and again. So in most of my lessons with the students I work regularly with, we hardly use the chessboard. Hmm. Wow. That, yeah, that, that would be challenging for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I, I can I can understand how that that would be helpful once you once you train the students to, to think that way. Um, yeah. So while we're on the topic of hitting plateaus or going through slumps, I saw uh, you did a three part interview with with Chessbase India in 2017, mm-hmm. which I found a lot of interesting stuff in there. But one of the things that you mentioned was that it, it took you eight years to go from, from international master to grandmaster. Yes. So that so must have I been became, some, some personal experience with a slump or with a plateau. I wouldn't uh, call it that way. Like, for example, I started playing chess in uh, late 1988, early 1989. Uh, that's when Anand became the world junior champion of the grandmaster. And uh, that was the inspiration, and I came to the game. And uh, here I am, like, retired from chess, the last competitive chess from, for the last 11 years. And Vishy is still is going to hit 50 in a month, and he's still in the top 10. So great inspiration for uh, all the chess players out there. So when I came to chess, I was already 12 years old. So I was not very young when I came to chess. Even by those days' standards, it was pretty late compared to my compatriots and uh, I became an international master at the age of 19 but back then uh, we did not have uh, any chess trainers or uh, the computers were still not in the scene, no internet and uh, we did not even have access to good English chess books. So the information was a scarce commodity and uh, the learning was mostly uh, with from what discussions we have with other players and mostly trial and error. So the progress was pretty slow by today's standards. But by those days standards, I became an IM at the age of international master at the age of 19. So back then in India, most of the international masters were like about 25 years old. So compared to them, I was um, a young child, you could say. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, uh, back then, we did not have many international tournaments happening in India. So it was uh, very tough to make norms, like the Grandmaster or International Master norms. It was very difficult. And we had only the Goodrick International Open at Calcutta in February that was happening every month. So you only get a chance once per year. And if you don't make it, you have to wait for one more year. So I wouldn't say like I hit a plateau, but uh, back then it was really difficult to make norms and then uh, I started uh, playing in Europe more often because that trend was started in India by Sashikiran when he was quite young he played few tournaments in Europe and I believe in uh, two three months he came back as an international master and we were all shocked how can someone become an IM in 
couple of months. But then we understood that probably we should be doing that to become a grandmaster. And we started playing more in Europe. And then uh, it was possible to make norms. And that's when I also won the British Championship in 2002. And in 2003, I made my final norm. So I had uh, my own share of uh, plateaus, I, like you mentioned, but they were not... Um, I was not really bothered by that because it was not like I'm getting opportunities both in terms of training and playing and I'm not making use of them. So I felt I made good use of the opportunities I got. So I don't have much regrets on that account. But I always felt that uh, there was lack of information and the lack of, there was lack of good advice uh, from the player's viewpoint. And I felt, why not, uh, can I do something about it? And that's how I came to chess training. Yeah. Um, and certainly chess in India has come a long way with, with uh, so many young talents. Um, just, yeah. uh, it's, it's incredible to see. I saw just today that you, you retweeted an article about all of the um, successful players yes. from Chennai, from, from, where, from your hometown. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to see. Um, and re- relating to, to chess in India, we have another question from supporter of the podcast, Andrew Perry, who asks, mm-hmm. uh, due to various sociological factors in India, as well as the popularity of chess, I would guess that the competition among young chess players in India is particularly fierce. Uh, GM Ramesh, do you think that this is the case? Yeah, I think, uh, one, as you can see, we have a huge population and uh, even if a small percentage of uh, them start playing chess, we have a big army of chess players. So, But I believe it is not just the numbers that give uh, the advantage to the Indians, but uh, as you rightly mentioned, uh, there's a fierce competition. And when there is good competition, people really try to upgrade their skills so that they can uh, handle the competition and uh, be the best. So you really have to, the acquiring skills and becoming strong, there is no really other way to become a good player. So they understand at very young age that they have to learn the right things and uh, as quickly as possible. So the young children, they work very hard and they are very ambitious and they don't mind a good fight because they know they have to survive this competition and to be the best. So that's why I think uh, um, the young Indian children are uh, performing well when they go to Europe and play in all these uh, open tournaments and they're, they're able to make the norms quickly because they are used to playing against a tough competition back home. And yeah. not only the competition is fierce, but the challenges and the pressure is also immense because uh, not everyone can be successful and uh, so it puts tremendous pressure on uh, young children who are not able to perform as well so it's important we um, give a proper uh, advice to these children on how to handle these issues as well yeah and i saw that you mentioned in in the older interview with chess base in india that i that i mentioned um earlier that we've had some as i 
We've had some other guests from India on the show. I am Sagar Shah, uh, GM Vidit, GM Hari Krishna, uh, Tanya Sachdev. Um, and they've all talked about uh, the, the general sponsorship situation in India, which uh, look, from the outside looking in, I know that India is not as, as well off um, overall as the United mm-hmm. States, but they do have some support in terms of uh, the, the positions that oil companies give uh, some of the strongest players in the country. But I saw that you mentioned in this old, older interview that, that you felt that there weren't enough jobs overall and that I'm sure that contributes to the competition. So I was curious if that's changed at all in the past two years or if that's still uh, gener- the same issue that you mentioned in your Chessbase India interview. Yeah, so what happened is like uh, in the early 90s, uh, India had a very good relationship with the Soviet Union during the Cold War era. And then uh, as a result, the Soviet Union, they had formed chess clubs in four major cities in India. And uh, in our city, Chennai, we had the tall chess club. And that is where young Vishwanathan Anand learned the game. And he had an opportunity to play with other players. And he made rapid progress. So he had uh, talked about the Tall Chess Club's influence uh, in his formative years in many interviews. So when uh, so we have this uh, uh, chess culture, uh, but what happened is like after Anand became GM and India started producing many international masters and uh, the banks were uh, controlled by the government. Most of them were public sector banks and the government had a policy that um, chess players, the strong chess players should be given employment in the few of the banks. So we had uh, three banks which were employing like five players each. So the top 15 players, you could say, they were able to get employment in the banks. So that was a good uh, uh, motivation for uh, others to look up to. But uh, the problem with the chess uh, employment is once a player gets into the job, like he's not going to retire Till it's like 40 or 50 or 60. So unlike a physical sport, when a player's career is over, there'll be a need to find new players in the team. But it doesn't happen that way in chess. So uh, uh, those 15 places, once it is taken by that generation, then the subsequent generation, they are not getting employment. And that's when we had the public sector oil companies. There were, again, three big oil companies in India. So they could uh, they recruited like seven to eight chess players. So most of the top chess players of the subsequent generations, they were part of this uh, oil company. So they got a good job with a good salary. They don't have to worry about the financial part of their life. And they could focus more on becoming good players. But what has happened since then is now those slots are full as well. And uh, for example, we have the... Uh, current national champion in India, Arvind Chidambaram. He's also my student. He works in our academy. And uh, he is 2,600 plus, And he doesn't have a job because all these jobs are already taken. So like I mentioned in the interview a couple of years ago, we have reached a point where uh, the players are not going to get employment as was the case in the past. So the current generation, they have kind of accepted that they are not going to go the path which their uh, earlier generation's players took. So they are trying to make a living out of chess as a player. And when that is not uh, meeting their needs, they are also venturing into other areas. Like they are trying to 
work uh, part time as coaches or uh, some of them start their own websites they become commentators authors so they are exploring uh, other avenues as well so chess is going through some uh, major changes in india and now we have like more than 65 grandmasters already so there is a big crowd now and the numbers are uh, increasing day by day so it's really unclear how things are going to pan out in the future but i believe uh, um, with so many young chess players wanting to make their mark something uh, they they will find a way out yeah i hope so i mean there's just so many incredible players yeah and and the number of jobs you describe given just the number of sort of household names in the chess world coming from india it's really not that many yeah. it, it sounds kind of similar to the uh, academic system here in the united states where if you become a tenured mm-hmm. professor you you keep the job for your life so that results in there always being um a shortage of of jobs for potential applicants um i saw mm. that it uh it made pretty big news in the chess world that uh uh nihal sar and the other young Indian phenom grandmaster got yeah. a, bit, a sponsorship deal with a, a milk company. So I guess yes. that's a, that's a positive development in this area. Yeah. So people are not just get uh, looking for jobs, but uh, these days many private sponsors. Like India is a big country, and there are many private companies, and uh, they are more open to uh, supporting the cause of uh, upcoming sportsmen. So that's a uh, one positive development that's happening in india and uh, which is good for the game and uh, players can uh, don't have to look for jobs but if they can get good sponsors at the right time and uh, make use of those uh, opportunities and make a name for themselves they don't have to worry too much about the financial aspect in the future so uh, i hope this will be a good precedent so and uh, more private sponsors will come and uh spend more money on chess not just in chess but in uh, other sports as well that will be good for the sports enthusiasts in the country and we always hear in the united states and elsewhere about how fam- just how famous uh viswanathan anand is in india how he's one of the most famous sportsmen uh irrespective of of what um what sport or what game one's engaged in mm-hmm. Um, how how famous are the other elite players from India? How well known are the Hare Krishnas and the Vedits and uh, Satyamuran and the other top players? Um, yeah, uh, what's it like for them? So, so in India we have like it's divided into twenty nine states or the major provinces, and uh, Anand is a well known name throughout India because he has had uh, phenomenal success in chess, not just phenomenal success phenomenal success over decades so at least over uh, three decades at the top of chess world so different generation of uh, the population they have heard anand being successful in chess so it's a very common household name people can recognize him on the street if they see him so it's that popular throughout the nation but if you take uh, players like hari krishna or koneru hampi or uh, pragnananda nihal sarin uh, the people from their respective states many of them they have heard about them these guys but they cannot in most cases recognize them by face so but as i said india is a huge country and uh, 
uh, we have a huge chess population and uh, the players they don't really think about these things too much they just want to achieve uh, as much of their potential as possible and they are not really bothered about how popular they are among the public yeah that makes sense um so just uh one more topic gm ramesh if you're up for it uh yeah sure great um just was looking for some if you have any chess book recommendations uh i mean i'm sure you do (laughs) what what have been your favorite chess books over the years and are there any that, that you use um, I mean, I, you mentioned before you have a huge database. I'm sure of uh, many positions, but are there are there any that you find yourself going back to, even even at your current level, whether it be for your your uh, younger or your your stronger students? Yeah, um, I think I feel uh, um, one of the changes that is happening with the arrival of uh, computers, the internet, and uh, recently the arrival of uh, cloud engines for analysis. So a lot of uh, technological changes is happening and the young generation, uh, they are trying to take advantage of this to the maximum extent possible. But one sad casualty is the young generation, they are not very keen on uh, reading from uh, a physical book. They would prefer to have uh, a PDF or uh, an ebook reader and so on. And they don't really are not very keen on carrying books to tournaments. And uh, so that habit is slowly uh, disappearing, I would say. But I feel uh, uh, it's very essential for uh, young players to learn from the classics. There are many fantastic chess books written by different authors in uh, different eras. So I think uh, uh, going through those books uh, will not only make them aware of the historic historical developments in the game off the board and on the board but it also helps them uh, improve their knowledge and general understanding of the game so i usually advise my students to spend some amount of uh, time every day on uh, reading some good books so normally as a coach what i try to tell them is i give them uh, like a 12 point uh, work assignments to be considered at doing to do at home like uh, i ask them to uh, study classics like choose any player like alikane capablanca fisher botanic tall and so on so whatever player they are inspired by they would like to learn more about they can choose any one player and try to see three to five games of that player every day so it would be good if they can uh, go through uh, the biography, autobiography of the player himself concerned, if it is available, like My 60 Memorable Games by Fisher and so on. So I encourage my students to work on classics just uh, to see three to five games uh, of any player they like. And then, uh, so if they do this like in a couple of months, they would have seen like more than 100 games of a player and then they can choose another player and keep going on like this. And the other thing I suggest to my students is to take any good middle game book and then try to read three to five pages every day. So just to get more knowledge and different perspectives uh, on the game. So I give them a list of books. Like I have like a list of 150 books. So I just send this Word document to them and they can choose whichever book they feel they are 
keen to go through and so on so this is another thing i strongly encourage my students to do and the other thing is try to get some good end game book and then uh, go through it so i give a list of good end game books and they can see two three pages every day so and then i ask them to solve puzzles like five to 10 puzzles every day try to solve some uh, compositions so i give them a list of 12 things and they can do in three or four of those things every day whichever they feel they need to in whichever area they feel they need to improve upon so i give them a list of 12 different areas to work and i give them some uh, uh, suggested material on each of these areas and then uh, i ask them to work three or four areas at home regularly so this way they also read and learn and more importantly it's very important for a player not to outsource his learning to coaches so you should player should not feel the coaches will teach everything that i need to know i don't have to do much on my own so that attitude i would strongly discourage in my students and i will ask them like most of your learning should come from your own effort and you should try to be as independent as possible so regarding the books i would recommend like uh, as far as uh, best games are concerned i would say my 60 memorable games by fisher the zurich international by 1953 by bronstein art of attack by vukovic life and games of michael tall the judgment and planning in chess by max uwe and fire on the board by shiro and uh, i would strongly recommend all the dwarovski books and also jakob agard's books and also kaspro's books uh, fighting chess i like that book a lot when i when i was young i was very much inspired by that book and also the migrate predecessor series now in general all dwarovski jakob and kaspro books i would strongly recommend and the secrets of practical chess by nan and then uh, winning pawn structure by baburian think like a grandmaster by uh, alexander kotov and uh, um end game strategy must um, <clears throat> by sherchevsky so i could just go on and on so there are uh, so many good books out there like positional decision making dynamic decision making by gelfan positional chess sacrifices by suba and uh, also would strongly recommend the yusupov series of uh, build up your chess boost your chess and chess evolution so this nine volume series it's uh, very good it's a complete package in itself and then uh, you have a theory and practice of chess endings by panchankov um yeah so i try to give books um, on all the topics like to solve puzzles uh, for players above 1500 i would say like perfect your chess by volokitin or imagination and chess by patagrapin rashvili uh and uh, i also like this it's only me on uh, 20 miles it's mm-hmm. a very original book and uh, so uh, the draw by john nan and for end games i recommend the dwarf skin game manual or uh, the fundamental chess endings by kasten muller and how to play chess and games by kasten muller again and uh, i also like uh, timans book on the attack and his other books and uh, there is this author uh, amartya avni and probably i'm not sure how many of 
know about this author his books are really very interesting like you get some really creative positions to improve creativity get some good studies uh, his books like creative chairs or surprise in chairs by amartya avni i would strongly recommend those books you have larry christiansen's uh, rocking the ramparts end game preparation by spielman and uh, improve your chess now by tisdal rubinstein's masterpieces mm-hmm. um, among the recent books like the under the surface uh, by john marcos or uh, utpecker method so there are plenty of uh, good reading material out there and uh, i've just begun to scratch the surface there are many more good books out there um, i think uh, just reading good books and learning is one very good way to improve but one thing we have to realize is when we read from books we only acquire knowledge and knowledge i normally say knowing is not doing just because you know about something doesn't mean you can do it uh, for example we all know that doing exercise is good for our health it's not a secret but very few percentage of the population do exercise on a regular basis they all know it is good but they don't do it so usually this is how happens with knowledge so when we read books or when we listen to advice we only acquire knowledge it doesn't translate to skill so we really have to apply the knowledge in practice and gain experience and acquire those skills wow that's an incredible list of recommendations just off the top of your head it's a uh... We'll keep our listeners extremely busy, but um, some of them I had not heard before, but a lot are what we would consider the classics. And uh, yeah. def- definitely it's um, finding something good to study is the, is not the most challenging part of chess. That, <laughs> that, yeah. That's for sure. And I did think of one last question that I wanted to ask you. I I saw that you mentioned um, in your the aforementioned Chess Base India interview that you were also uh, undertaking an experiment where at your academy... Uh, which we should mention, um, the Chess Gurukul. How do you pronounce that? your academy? It's Chess Gurukul. Chess Gurukul, okay. The yeah. Chess Gurukul Academy, you're, you had begun to teach yoga and meditation. Um, so yes. uh, so what, what, how has that gone? I think it is uh, extremely important that for a chess player um, who aspires to be professional or to be extremely good at it, you need to be both physically and mentally tough to handle all the tension and the pressures and i recently read an article which came a couple of days ago that chess players lose a uh, lot of weight yeah i saw uh, that, I saw that article play in a competitive uh, tournaments so you can see like it it is a very demanding profession uh, to be a full time chess player so you need to be emotionally strong should be tough to handle losses and unexpected happenings and i think it's uh, you need to be emotionally really strong and have your priorities in place so i think uh, i have tried experimenting with uh, meditation for uh, young children like pragnanda has done meditation and uh, he does it uh, like 10 or 15 minutes every day and i believe with the right priorities and right kind of training it could uh, really help and uh, being physically fit also i think it's very important and especially it will help towards the final rounds because it is usually the last couple of games that 
overall decides the outcome of uh, an open tournament so you need to be physically and emotionally tough and i believe you have to do some form of training for this and you cannot leave it to chance that's my view and do you do you encounter resistance when you attempt to teach young kids do they do they talk about how it's boring and do they do they uh try not to do it or are you able in your sort oh, of position uh, I don't uh, force them or I don't expect them to do things. So my philosophy is like when I give advice to my students, I don't really expect them to carry forward them through the logical conclusion. I don't expect them to follow it. But I would expect them to listen to what I am trying to say and form their own opinions and find their own way of handling those issues. But I would strongly suggest this could be good for you this could be good for you and those who are interested they can take it forward so i usually don't force things on young children i strongly believe the child should do things on their own if they have to be good good at it and at it doing this for a long period of time if we try to force things usually it doesn't work well, work out well so i explain things to them and then it's up to every individual so just as an example in the case of pragananda was he receptive to it right away or did it take uh, any convincing yeah yeah i think he is very clear uh, about his priorities if something will help him grow in chess and if i say it will help him grow in chess he simply trust me so much because he is very young and uh, he trust me completely so i have a huge responsibility in and i have to be extremely careful in what i tell him so i don't want to lead him in the wrong direction so if i suggest something he usually does it so i don't face much resistance with, with prag on well, most of the issues it's it's working for for both of you that's for sure so it's a testament yeah. to his character i would say um Okay, and just before I let you go, uh, GM Ramesh, I just did want to give a proper plug to your book. We didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about it that much, but I mean the the first two parts of the book with a lot of sort of uh, practical advice on converting an advantage, maintaining tension, prophylactic thinking, etc. It's it's extremely yeah. useful and a lot of uh, more modern examples. But then I wasn't ready for the third part, which is um, you kind of take a turn and you you give a lot of sort of. Uh, practical more what i would call sort of meta thinking advice about how to how to prepare for a tournament how to study openings yeah. and i think uh my listeners in particular as you mentioned in in your book recommendation list um as was clear there's there's absolutely no shortage of quality chess learning material but in terms of uh chess yes. approach material i think that uh the the third section of your book really stands out so I recommend listeners check it out. It is uh, well worth it. Do you think? Do you think you'll ever write another chess book, or did that? Uh, or are you too busy yeah, these I'm, days? Uh, yeah, uh, from uh, 2020 onwards, I am planning to write a series of books. Uh, so it's my long-term dream to uh, come out with uh, uh, all my experience as a player and also as a trainer. I have worked with many players of different generations. I've worked with probably more than 20 or 30 grandmasters and of different generations, different strength, different age group, different era. So I have learned a lot in the process and it's made me a 
a better person and a better trainer and i have seen that there are many players in different parts of the world they are looking for the right way to learn the game so as you mentioned there is no dearth of reading material quality material but most of the books are just sharing knowledge so people don't know how to use this knowledge and acquire the skill so how to really acquire the skill so i feel i have some uh, suggestions there so i am hoping to write uh, a complete training manual or uh, i'm not sure what name i would have for the book probably it will be a coaching manual or a training manual and uh, i'm hoping that book uh, probably will be a four volume series and uh, anyone who wants to learn the game i want to kind of uh, show a path like when you learn the game how you can try to reach level of grandmaster on your own so what are the pros and cons what are the different ways to uh, approach and learn so i just want to share everything i know in a book format so i'm hoping from uh, next year i will be writing the book and uh, hopefully every year one volume will come out wow that that's great news I, that sounds awesome i definitely look forward to that um Thanks. so so i just want to thank you again for your time i know you're busy you've you've got a family on top of all your work responsibilities so i really appreciate uh all of this uh this insight that you've shared with us yeah thank you ben for the nice interview and for uh, giving me an opportunity to share my perspective of things my pleasure thank you. and oh sure and just last thing so i'll link to your twitter account is there any other way for people to keep up with anything that you're doing yeah i post a lot on my facebook it's uh, ramesh rb so whenever i feel like i have something to share on uh, chest training issues i try to share it in my through my twitter account or my facebook account excellent and uh, yeah okay thank well thank you so much um it's uh it's nighttime where you are it's nighttime in india right yes okay yes, so have a good night yeah, yeah have a good day man Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Most of all to my producer, Matthew Passy, but also to everyone who helps spread the word about the show. That can be by telling a friend, by writing a positive statement on Twitter or Facebook or whatever your preferred social media outlet is, by writing a glowing review on Apple Podcasts or another podcast platform. All of that stuff helps. But most of all, I want to thank the people who provide financial support to the show. Without you all, the show would not be possible. So here we go. Thanks to my Patreon and PayPal Perpetual Partners. I would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities, Chessable.com, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough, Benjamin Handelman, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, Greg Natel, I am Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jen Scream, John Jernigan, John Cromarty, Kelly Palmer, Lone Pine Chest, the Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Kahn, the Mysterious Moonmaster 9000, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant, Todd Kennedy, and I'd like to give thanks to Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, FM Andre Terakov, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howardland, Brett Zeldo, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Chabri. 
Christopher Wood. I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, David Kofer, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Lucas of the U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, Evan Sagers, I am Alec Donnie Ariel. Fox Valley Chess Club, Frank Tortoris, MD, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Han Shu, Harish Srinivasan, James Bonastia, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, JJ Stranad, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, GM Josh Fidel, newly minted IM Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Namsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovyutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Larry Reifforth, Laura Beljavsky, Lucio Casada Silva, Matthew Knudsen, Matthew Passi, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Miguel Araspidi, Mr. Michael Shahadi, Nate Salon, Neil Bruce, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahava, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Steiner Lima, WGM Tatia of Abrahamian, Thomas Stanix, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tomas Kolmanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancouz, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, everyone. I will catch you guys soon. Podcast Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.